Welcome back to the Bastards of Art podcast. My name is Matt Hodell, and in this podcast, I've just completed an interview with a young artist named Alex Bochelle. Alex has been pursuing his career as an EDM artist for the last few years. Uh, originally, he was a graduate of Virginia Tech and studied in the field of computer science, but he left all that behind, and as he describes, with no backup plan, to pursue what his true passion was, which was creating art in the form of music. Hodel with the Bastards of Art podcast, coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri. Today is a little bit different. We're actually going to do an interview. I haven't got a chance to do one of these in a while, and I'm actually really excited to introduce to you somebody who's not in my world. Um, he's not a tattoo artist. He's not. He's he's a musician. He lives on the other side of the country. I want to introduce you to Alex. Alex, can you pronounce your last name for me, really quick? Yes, it's Bochelle. Uh, I did not want to butcher that. That's kind of what I thought it was. <laughs> but I just want to double check. Let me pull up my notes here really quick. I've got a couple of questions. I just want to start off the bat as I introduce you. Can I just ask you, your your webpage has a lot of monikers for you from everywhere from DJ, pop artist, producer, audio engineer, music promoter, and an electric uh, EDM Uh when you introduce yourself, obviously you don't go through that whole list every time. <laughs> what would be your like, hi, I'm Alex, I am A? It's, it's funny that you asked that because right before we started the podcast, I was wondering, okay, when he asked me to introduce myself, which of those on the list is the most important for this particular conversation? And it always ends up being EDM artist. That's my number one thing. That's what I focus on the most. And the other things that I do around it are just to support that main focus. That's a great answer, and I can relate to that, and uh, I really understand that point. Um, can you do me a favor and explain why that's at the top of the list and how those others kind of support it? Sure. So my dream in life is to be a big EDM artist that can make a living off of traveling, playing shows, and having people listen to my own music. And to get there, there are a lot of steps that I need to take and to support myself in the meantime, I need to be able to do things that are more marketable than just have people listen to my own music because people, even if I get people now to listen to my music, it, you need so many in order to start making a living from that, that it just takes so much time. And so I produce music for other people and I mix and master their songs and do small 8-bit songs for people's intros to support my efforts. And then I just take all that money and reinvest it into what I'm doing as an artist. Now, I just want to kind of fill in how we met before we get too deep in this conversation. So I'm trying to market myself and I'm doing a lot of the same things you're doing. And I'm trying to figure out how to be an artist and a businessman and see the big picture and not live in a bubble and all those things that go along with being in a creative field, but support myself. Right. And so... I'm overwhelmed with the amount of work that I, I have in front of me. Um, I'm wanting to get my YouTube channel up. And in particular, how I met you was I needed a new intro for my podcast, the one we're listening to right now. And so for the first time ever, I reached out on, how do I say it? Fiverr? Is that what they call it? I always said Fiverr, but I've never heard Fiverr? anyone else okay. pronounce it. Fiverr, Fiverr. Yeah, so we'll call it Fiverr. And for those who don't know, 
Can you explain what that is and how you got involved with it? Because basically what I did was I went on there and asked somebody, you in particular, because I liked your profile the best, if you could make me an 8-bit intro. So can you explain to me what that is, how you use it, and like what your kind of thoughts on it are? Because it's I'm getting mixed kind of signals about that whole community too. Yes. So I've been on it for a very long time. I started when I was in high school, my junior year, and I'm one year out of college now. And back then, Fiverr was a freelancing website where everything cost $5. And so it was great for people on low budgets because they could say, I want a song or I want a piece of art. And I know I can get it for $5. The quality might not be amazing, but that's all a lot of people can afford when they, when they begin. And I wanted to, I was really interested then in just the idea of making money online. Like I was really early in on the obsession of how to use the internet to to make an income. And I started off running a blog and then I saw Fiverr and realized I could do my creative music stuff on there. And so I made an account, noticed that no one was offering 8-bit music. And I had just downloaded this 8-bit virtual instrument that I wanted to try it out. So I made like 10 8-bit songs in one day, thought they sounded fine. So I posted my profile up there, not expecting anything to happen. But then within the first week, I got my first order and it was amazing because that was the first $5 I had ever earned online and it blew my mind. It opened my mind up to so many things. Um, and so as the years went on, I turned off the gig and turned it back on when I was getting busy with, you know, graduating high school and then going into college. And it wasn't until after college that I started reopening myself to, to getting gigs. So it's it's a little different now. Now there are a lot more opportunities to make more money on Fiverr, but it's still an interesting community because a lot of what's on there is not very high quality. And so it's tough to dig around to find something that's actually worth buying into. Do you still, obviously over the years, like when you basically re-got into Fiverr, um, and I didn't know anything about the whole $5 thing either. That's that's pretty, actually really clever. The whole, the whole idea is clever, but I noticed the same thing, like digging through, is after a while, I was kind of like, uh, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm getting optional paralysis. I just need to pick the guy who sounds the best to me, and that's, you know, I stumbled across you, whether it's fate or whether it's just accident. <laughs> how, how is the like? Is it still something that you? I, I just be honest. I don't know. Is it something you actually can like pay bills with, or is it just a little extra pocket change, or like for you and your experience? This is just pocket change. The cool. I pretty much old. The only things that I do on Fiverr are the eight bit songs. And that's, I, it's because I like to do it. And every time I get yeah. an order, it's not, you know, the most worth your time kind of activity, but it forces me to be creative because people have different uh, ideas of what they want. And so the songs I make on there can inspire me to make like full versions of those songs or uh, offshoots of those songs. Um, anything, I can dig it. Yeah. Anything that I do that is, that costs more, I usually do on a different website. Um, than Fiverr. Okay. Do you want to introduce that website right now too? Yes. It's called Sound Better. It's by Spotify. Uh, they they bought it, I think, a couple of years ago. But it's it's not one that people will generally see my profile when they're digging through. It's one where I have to go and find clients and then send them to my Sound Better profile. And that's how we start. Um, that's a much project. different dynamic. Very much so. So Fiverr for you is more like I would have never thought to have a request like this, but let me see if I can muscle through it. 
And the other one is more like I need to sell myself. And I think the mentality on both of those are, are slightly different, but I could see the humility in exposing yourself to both of them. You yeah. Know? And it's, it's helpful to me, you know, doing the fiber stuff because I, I am able to network with people in different creative spaces. So, I mean, I met you through it and now we're on a yeah. podcast together and that's an opportunity I would have never had if I wasn't on Fiverr and I, I've met other video creators and game creators. There was one fella that I did a song for on Fiverr. This was back when I was in high school. I still talk to him now. He's still a game creator and I still make music for his games, but he ended up buying the rights to like 38 bit songs for one big bulk price. And that month that paid the bills. <laughs> nice. So there are these random offshoots where it really works well. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, that is, that is kind of like hard to explain to people when you're when you're an artist. It's not like any other traditional job where you get task A and you get paid for doing task A. With being, I think, can you relate to this statement that being a being in the creative world, there is not one thing usually. There's usually like a multitude of things. One thing might be your yeah, that one pays the bills. But if I don't do all these other things, then I'm not feeding. And I don't really know how to put that in words. And maybe you can help me with this. But like you said, you have like your your main umbrella and everything else helps feed that either emotionally, creativity, creativity, creatively, <laughs> creatively, or, or financially. Um, is that kind of how you see it too? It's almost like your own ecosystem that you start creating? Yes. And using the word ecosystem, that's the exact word that I use when I describe it. It's like, you're putting all these little fish hooks out there in completely different places in the internet. And the more you put out, eventually things are going to start catching and it's a really slow build. And there are times when I start one endeavor and then decide a month or two later that it's not really worth the time and figuring out which things are actually worth it is one of the most difficult parts, but I just keep trying new things and seeing what sticks. Let me roll back a little bit because some of the things you just said there, you had mentioned yeah, not knowing what to do and what works or anything like that. And you sound really confident now, but I read your profile and in your profile, you sound like you weren't always as con the confident young man you are today. Uh, specifically, you were talking about, even in the very beginning, you said you taught yourself how to play guitar, but you didn't have the confidence to pursue that as a path. Was it because it was a music path or a non-traditional path? Was it what 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 kind of was it about about the confidence of going into that 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 was your story for me back then i really just didn't have general confidence i wasn't confident in myself in really any aspect um it started in high school so i i like the self-help industry to a point i think it has a lot of really good things and it can get toxic but right at the beginning when i was in high school i came across a YouTube video that was advertising an ebook called how to always know what to say. And back then I had a lot of trouble, you know, in my social interactions, I was, I didn't talk to adults very well. I couldn't talk to girls. I even, I found myself even at points not being able to know what to say to my own friends just because I was embarrassed that I would say something dumb. And so I got that book and I read through it and I practiced what was in it. And I got better at talking to people. I would just like follow these steps and I could see that it would improve my social interactions. And so once that happened, I thought, well, shoot, like this is the first time I've really taught myself anything outside of school that's helped me. And so I kept looking for that kind of thing. 
And then when I was in college, I, I joined a fraternity that was based off of self-development. And it forced me to go through so many new interactions where I would meet the people in the organization, hold a conversation with them. Uh, I eventually got into the organization. After that, I became the vice president of recruitment. And so I recruited people. I held so many interviews and talked to so many new people that this thing that was my biggest problem became one of my biggest strengths. And so all of that completely unrelated to music at the time is the reason why I am now able to pursue it is because I saw how much I was able to do in that area of my life. And I came to believe, well, shoot, let me put that kind of effort into music and just see where it takes me. You skipped a couple things. Because I did. I think they're really, I think they're really important and I do want to bring them up. Yes. Absolutely. And one of the things, one of the things you skipped, let me bring the screen back over is that not only did you rise in this fraternity, and I, I want to say that the fraternity you joined is, I read the background of it. It's a really good story. Um, it has a lot of um, healthy values in its foundation. And you said it was, you know, the self-improving aspect of it, which I, I can see now why it would um, be attractive to you. Uh, but you you used the fraternity as a nonprofit for a while, and you had to do something that a lot of people would probably be too scared to do is you moved yourself into a minimalist lifestyle and lived out of your car. And basically it sounds like every three or four days you would have to meet a whole new group of people, reintroduce yourself and start all over again. And so I've, I've done something like that. So I know that experience had to have changed your perspective. Um, looking back like, what was that like for you being, I mean, that had to be a little bit scary, just a tiny bit. It was terrifying. I mean, the whole thing was, was terrifying. When I was being recruited for it, I was afraid of it and I pushed it away from the, the person that was trying to get me into um, that job. And when I started, we had three months over the summer of training where we would be in the office 40 hours a week doing, just like learning the ropes of the organization um, doing like practices with different situations that we might encounter, learning mainly sales and project management and consulting. And then we would go home and we would be on the phone for the next four hours, calling the people in our region to get to know them. And so there was just so much happening at once. And then we finally got to the point where we had to go out on the road and travel and meet a bunch of new people. And the first few months, like I, I burned myself out within the first maybe three weeks. I mean, I was three weeks in, I felt almost like a zombie. I remember sitting outside of one of the campuses in Syracuse, New York, not really talking to anyone that I knew. I hadn't caught up with my family at all in like, I guess a month or so. And I just like, sat there and cried. I was like, what am I doing? Why, why did I choose this path? Everyone else who studied, you know, computer science is off at their good computer science job, earning a lot of money. And I'm living out of my car and trying to help undergrads in college. And that same day, someone who did that job previously flew into the city. And I like clung to him like a clingy girlfriend, just like, and he, he comforted me, you know, had me walk through what I was going to do because I had control of my schedule. I, it was up to me to put things on my calendar that would help me. Um, and no one could really help me through it. And once I got over that hump, 
it be- I became a lot better at knowing my limits and knowing when I needed to take time off, when I needed to get alone time, um, and started reaching out to volunteers in the areas who, who would, you know, give me a nice place to stay for the night. Um, but it was, it was really brutal at the beginning. I got used to it about three or four months in and it just became like my lifestyle. Yeah. There's a threshold that you cross anytime that you're uprooted like that. And I, I, when I lived like that, I called it stability through mobility. And I got to tell you, there's not a time that right before I leave to do a long journey or something like that, that I don't sit there and go, what am I doing? Why did I, yeah. why did I agree to this? <laughs> why am I leaving? I got everything I need right here. And so leaving my comfort zone to go do these things, I know that it's going to make me a better person. I know on the other side of it. And there was a guy that a long time ago, he told me that everything I wanted was on the other side of fear. So really the only reason I would ever do these things is because I knew that the person that I wanted to be was over there. And the person I am right now is is like, and I, and I repeat this in my podcast over and over again, I, I'm letting good stand in the way of great. I, I want to be something else. I'm okay. I'm not bad, but I want to be something else. And going through those those processes, you mentioned some skill sets you learned, and I think they're really important. And I don't even know if you realize you said it, but really the cold calling aspect, like just being able to just like, hey, how you doing? Without sounding like that cheesy used car salesman, right. you know, because that's that's a difficult one too. But the other one I think is most people, especially in the creative field, don't have is time management skills. And that's a skill set that I don't know if you can just give somebody a self-help book and teach them. They almost have to be put in to um, an experience like what you had to, to, to enjoy the fruits of that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing with the whole self-help book kind of thing. All these things that I had, well, I was forced to practice that whole year and during college, I wouldn't have been good at it if I just learned about all of those things. I was thrown into a situation where I had to learn it. And thankfully through that, I learned that yes, what I did want was on the other side of fear, like you were talking about. I- I'm curious, though, what was your experience with um, that kind of lifestyle? Well, to, to kind of make it make a shorter version of it, you know, when I started my industry, there was no internet. So the only way you could learn from other people in my industry, and it was a smaller industry back then, was to travel. And <laughs> there was like, basically, there was a community inside the community. And, and that culture, those, those people that you wanted to be around, the only way to get any information out of them or, or get their trust so they would tell you things was to go work with them or go meet them or go get tattooed by them. Right. And uh, I don't know if you've picked this up yet. I didn't, I don't even know if I told you, but I'm a tattoo artist by trade and I've been doing it for 26 years. So back in the nineties, you know, if I would open a magazine up and I'd be like, this guy in Japan is awesome. And I'd fly to Japan and go work with him. You know, I just basically, Hey, my name is Matt. I'm a nobody. Your work is awesome. Can I get tattooed by you? That was my end. So that, that, that would, that whole process would, um, um, how do you call it? Domino effect. Cause in, in Japan, I met someone from Brazil. So I went down to Brazil and worked. Then I met somebody from somewhere else and, and you basically keep the opportunities coming, but you know, there was about a four or five year period where I was pretty much a vagabond and I didn't have a home shop. I worked at, um, and it, it, I think that taught me a lot of skill sets, but at the same time, like what you were saying about now all your other, all the, your other cohorts are, are starting to build their careers. You know, I wasn't necessarily building my career. I was collecting, I was collecting information. And so while all my other friends had these huge clientels and, and better portfolios, cause they were able to sit in one spot, 
you know, I was out. I mean, sometimes I felt like screwing around. Sometimes I felt like discovering, but that was my experience. And it's, I think everybody should do it. I think everybody should take off for a year and just find their skin and get comfortable in it, you know? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, that experience for me was life-changing and it sounds like it was the same way for you too. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to do a quick, uh, like a cool little segue here. So you, you, uh, you talk about hearers and doers, and I'm going to say, and I use different terminology and it doesn't matter because it's the same idea, but not everyone can go do that. Most people are going to freeze at the opportunity. They're going to talk about it. They're going to want to do it. They're going to read books about it. They're going to get all the guidebooks about it. They're never going to do it. And that's something you just can't teach to people. Um, but there are hearers and there are doers. Um, and that those are your words from your webpage. And I do enjoy it. And I want you to explain a little bit more about that. And were you always a hearer or did you have to learn how to become one? I really had to learn it. I think maybe there was a part in me that always had access to being a doer, but it wasn't until again college when I was put into tough situations with my organization, when I had a mentor who he was the person who was doing what my job would be the next year. And every time I complained to him, he always asked me, he always listened and affirmed what I was, what I was saying, but he would always ask me what I was going to do about it. And what, what can I do to, to change my situation or to improve whatever is going on? And it wasn't until I had that constant reminder all the time that, yes, things are going to happen to me and there are unfair things that happen to me. Some things might be fair, but there's always something that I should be doing about it. And because of his constant, almost annoying reminders, it just, again, forced me to start looking at the world differently and looking to see what I could do about every situation. And once I learned that, I started putting it into practice all the time. And it just, the world just kind of felt like it was becoming my oyster. And even though like right now I'm far from successful in music um, to the, like the average standard, but it just made me feel like it was possible and gave me the confidence to do it. I love it. I absolutely love it. I have a friend in uh, in uh, Arizona. We talk a lot. We, we have some deeper conversations and we do. We talk about how, you know, success is different to everybody. And I love the fact that, you know, even though you have more benchmarks to get through and more goals to achieve, that you already feel <clears throat> a certain amount of success because it's in you. It's not a, it's not a tangible item. That's what it sounds like you're saying. Yes. Like right now, every day when I'm doing what I'm doing, where I wake up, do music, talk to people on social media, maybe have a special occasion where I can be on a podcast. Like I love it already. And doing that forever is okay with me because I love that process. And I'm lucky to have found that thing that I love so much. Um, and so I know milestones will come eventually. And I'm in, I'm still, I still feel like I'm in a rush to get there, but mm -hmm. I'm happy where I am right now. Yeah. I think that's a battle. Uh, I think the the feeling of a rush, it's so funny. My wife called me a high achiever the other day. And I guess if I laid out all the, the fun things I've done, little small achievements, things I've done, um, I should be probably a little bit more relaxed. But it's almost like once I've done them, I'm already going, okay, either A, how can I make it more efficient? Or how can I make it better? Or how can I, how can I clean it up? Or can I get to the next thing? 
Um, and I don't think, I think as a doer, just, just to use your, your words, as a doer, I, I don't think there is a satisfaction level. Like there's never like a, can you really believe that, let's say, oh, if only I had a Grammy. Do you think that would be enough? No, it's not going to be enough. And that's one thing that I got to tell you what, it, it took forever. It took me to be in my 40s to get comfortable knowing to live with a certain amount of anxiety and energy and that it's always going to be there. And that's kind of my fuel. Um, I don't know. Um, so you should be what in your 23, 24, 24. Yes. So yeah, you're to, to be as, as wise in some of your, in, in some of your, um, Oh, and some of your perspectives and even how articulate you are. Um, what, what crushes you? <laughs> I, I, what, what is it that that is still like wow this is a skill set I don't have or this is I'm looking for something that is still like relatable because oh so far you sound like you got your stuff together. <laughs> well, <laughs> I see I have I have cycles so my great biggest this thing, is what I'm looking for yeah <laughs> I have cycles of confidence and it's like I'll have let's say so week one I feel I feel great I am pumping things out. I think I'm like going to be a great musician. And then I get to week two, things are going okay. Things from week one aren't really picking up much steam. So I kind of get down on myself. Week three comes around and I feel like I'm moving backwards. And then week four hits and I just like all of a sudden lose all motivation. Like just think that there's nothing I can make that is any good. I don't feel like I should be posting on social media or trying to make YouTube videos because who would want to hear what I'm saying anyways? <laughs> and it just hits all at once. It's not like a, oh, every day I have some doubt. It's like I either have no doubt or I'm so incredibly doubtful. And that's when my wife will tell me it's time to take some time off and I need to just like push it away for a little bit because I just get so incredibly down on myself. And I just, I live on those extremes and I, the way I talk to, I'm like, this is the best thing ever, or this is the worst thing ever. And that's how my emotions run with um, my music as well. So I, I need to be more steady. That's my biggest downfall right now. And I think you nailed it by saying, uh, well, two things. Number one, having somebody with an existential view of your life to be tuned in with you, to know like, when you're holding your fork wrong, yeah. when you're when you're driving and yelling at the wrong people, that they're the ones going, "Hey, look, it's not their fault. Just take a break." You know, I think that's that's really great that you have a, a supporting wife like that. I do too. Um, but learning how to take time off is um, is difficult. You know, we, I'm in a stretch right now where my days off aren't days off. Um, not only do I have the extra workload I gave myself by marketing, but then I have my normal workload of tattooing. And then on top of that, my weekends have kind of been stolen because I've got a, a house I've got to remodel that I don't even live in that I'm, that is a whole nother story, but oh, it has wow. to get done before it freezes. And so my point is this, I've got a lot going on. Being able to sit still is, is almost impossible. And I don't know. I'm assuming that's probably the same for you too. Like just being told to, to lay on the couch all day Saturday. Is that something you're able to do yet? Not really. Like even if I'm watching my favorite football team play, I still have my phone and I'm like replying to people's DMs and <laughs> it's sad. It, it gets to the point where I'm just not productive and it's, I shouldn't be doing it. Like it's not helping me. <laughs> that's true. And I think that kind of goes into something I say about work 
and, and experience I think we both have is work isn't a noun for us. It's a verb. It's something we have to turn on and turn off. We don't have the luxury of coming home and saying, okay, I don't, I'm not dealing with that anymore. It's like, no, we have to constantly deal with it. And I think mentally that can be a little frustrating. Do you, what, do you, do you ever force cycles in your, in, like you said, your emotions sometimes dictate what cycles you're going to be in. Do you ever try to force those cycles? Like say, look, I'm going to take a week off and do nothing or, or anything like that. I will do that for days off and some, I, I haven't taken a week off like in forever. I mean, for my honeymoon I did, but other than that, I can't remember the last time I took a week off, but I do force myself to take days off and to leave my phone inside and just go on a walk for four hours and just let my mind breathe, not listening to anything, not, no music, nothing, um, no podcasts even. And so that helps a lot. Um, but it, Taking a day or a few days off doesn't always reset it. Sometimes it just takes a little longer. So I haven't been able to effectively force um, cycles. I think that's that's what we call balance and something we try to achieve the rest of our lives, unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> How do you go about doing that? Because if, if you have any tips for me, I will happily put them into practice. To tell you the truth, mine started when uh, I went ahead and got pretty much a life coach in New York. And having that, not only having an emotional like, you know, your wife is kind of your emotional, you know, your emotional support, the person on the existential that knows that you, that you're doing things weird, but they're not necessarily your, your key advisors of how you should run your career. Right. And so I had a, I did the same, I had a mentor just like you, you had a mentor. And I think it's, I think it's, I think it would be almost impossible to get through this creative field without some type of a mentor. Um, but I'm going to let you know that it, I'm, I don't have an answer <laughs> because what, what worked what worked last year doesn't work this year anymore, you know? And that's unfortunately like just how it is. Um, what I have done is, so I live in St. Louis and there's a, there's a, the Ozark mountains, which is starts at about an hour, 20 minutes from here. And I have a little cabin in the mountains and my life down there is completely different than my life in the city. And so for the last three years, that has been my shutoff, you know? Um, and so it took a little while to get there. And to tell you the truth, financially, it really wasn't that hard to pull off. It was cheaper than buying a second car. Um, oh. But right now, that is that has been in, um, what? That's my turn off. I just have to be able to turn it off somehow. Yes, you know? that's really relatable then. Because that's how I deal with it. Just go away for a while. Yeah, just being able to turn it off. Something really quick. Do you think your motivation, you had mentioned that when you went into to this this new ecosystem, this world where you were going to be the, the creative element and you were going to get the bills paid doing what you love. Um, but you said that you had no backup plan. Is that, do you think you could have achieved what you had if you were doing it quote unquote on the side? Or do you think that you just wouldn't have, you wouldn't have been as emotionally invested? I don't, I'm just curious about not having the backup plan and that dynamic and how that works in the mechanics of, of your workflow. It's definitely more of the emotional side. I, remember distinctly a very specific literature class that I had in high school where our teacher was talking about closing doors or leaving doors open. And the moral of this one story we were reading was talking about how a lot of humans like, like we as humans like to keep doors open. We don't like to close things off, especially in like relationships, um, romantic relationships, especially. And so if I had an out where I could go back and do programming, but I was currently doing music, then I would always 
be partly invested in going back to programming or keeping up my skills there so that I could go back if I needed to. And so when I say there is no backup plan, I closed all the doors mentally and emotionally and just sunk myself into this. And when I did that, it just became like my life. Like I eat, breathe, always think about it. And that focus is just what I needed to give myself a head start. And so while, yes, I, I don't think that I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing if I was doing it part-time or on the side, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to live that way right now. Um, if I have the means to go all the way in, then I, I had to. Yeah, I can relate to that as well. I, always, I, I, I never heard the doors thing. I always thought of it like buoys you know, holding onto one buoy in the ocean and you're, and you're trying to physically reach for the next one. You just can't, you have to let go of the other buoy to get to the next one. You know, um, there's just no, no other way to do it. Um, I like that image a lot. That image is way more powerful actually. Yeah. It's scary. It's always scary. I have, um, I'm, I'm going to drop a name here and it's okay. Cause he's a friend of mine, but I got a friend named Carl Napa and he's done very well for himself in his career field. He's actually a producer as well. Um, but he always talks about trying to get to the next level. And then he says, but what if the phone doesn't ring? <laughs> and he says, then I'm going to, I'm going to take this next leap and I'm going to raise my prices and I'm only going to do, I'm only going to concentrate on the clients that are, that make me happy. But what if the phone doesn't ring? And he talks about that over and over again. And I know he's given that speech a lot cause he's got it rehearsed, but yeah. it's so true. It's like, you know, and I, you know, finding a little bit of success, um, sometimes you get drunk off of it and you don't actually try hard enough to get the next level, you know, and you kind of revel in it. I don't know. I'm sure you could relate to that a little bit because so far we've been on the same page. Yes. I, I need people from the outside to look in and tell me I need to do something better at points because I'll just get complacent or used to what I'm doing and unable to see what I should be doing next. So 100%. What is your... What is your workflow? Like, what? Let me let me back up really quick. Number one, what do you want your listeners to experience? So I have this this vision that I'm kind of more in the process of creating right now than I have already created. And my whole like, if I were to sum it up in one word, it's adventure. And I love EDM and I love the big, powerful elements that it has. But oftentimes, it doesn't really have a soul. And I also love folk music. And so I want my listeners to experience the stories and the melodies of folk music and the, the bigness and powerfulness of EDM. Um, so that's, that's the vision for my listeners. What is it about folk music that feels deeper? Is it more feels what, I mean, I think I understand what you're saying, but why, why folk music? Usually the lyrics, the lyrics are a lot more story based and a lot of, EDM tends to be more generic and the singers in folk music as well. There's so much variety in singer and oftentimes in at least the EDM that I listen to, a lot of people sound the same uh, vocalist wise. And so I want to branch out and bring more organic elements like a strummed acoustic guitar, which, which people do, but not to the level that I want to do it, you know, bring in banjos and like the bluegrass sound that hasn't really been done before. What would be your workflow? I mean, you said before on Fiverr that somebody throws something at you and you're like, oh, I might be able to develop this. Obviously, you're not always waiting for that. Do you, 
do you have a workflow that you that you kind of manage whether it's a daily or a weekly workflow like how do you how do you kind of how do you do it i have so there's a couple of things when it comes to creating new songs every friday i do this thing that i call a music kata where i just sit down for seven hours don't leave my desk and by the end of that time period i have a song no matter how bad it is i have something that's not finished but that's like a a complete idea. And so I do that every Friday <clears throat> to force myself through the creative process. And oftentimes there'll be something about that song that I really like and that I can turn into a real song. So that's how I get my ideas. And then through the week, I spend an hour every morning when I wake up working on whatever idea I think is best. Um, I get songs to the point where I can send them to singers. And then once I send it to a singer, then I'll go and finish it. But uh, how much how much do you want to give to the to the the, the third party or this or your client or, or however with the singer what i'm asking is is basically there is like you don't want to give them too much where they can they can kind of start picking apart everything you yeah. want to give them enough that you what what is your kind of idea on how what content to give a client that one it changes every single time and so i I usually do it the same way because either someone loves hearing the early stages of a song or they completely tear it apart. And so when I give them, I give them something usually within the first few days and it's just a very basic outline. And I explain, look, there are things that you might not like about it. I want you to focus on, do these chords sound good? Do, do you like this sound in here? Um, and kind of give them things to, to tell me so that they don't just go and pick apart things that, at this point, the process don't matter. I was told I have, I have a friend that does a lot of um, a lot of things on the side as far as as far as art and and working for other people and doing books and book covers and posters and t shirts and all that. Um, a lot of he does a lot of albums, and I started getting into that a little bit a while back, and I was getting really frustrated because every time I'd show the client what I thought was a finished, I mean, I I checklisted everything and then added my own spice to the end. I gave them exactly what they wanted. Then they'd be like, that'd be cool on a blue background. And it'd be like, well, now I've got to redo everything, you know? And so he had told me a couple of things. Um, three changes are free after that start charging. But he also said, if someone wants to, to start making a lot of changes, he goes, that means they're into it. That's what his experience was. Mm -hmm. That if people don't want to make changes, that means they're just kind of like, just accepting what you gave them. And like, oh, I guess that's what I get. I did not, I did not believe what he said <laughs> that they were into it. Uh, Cause at the time I was very frustrated and I just wanted to be done with the project so I could move on to something else. But do you, do you find that might be true uh, in a small ways, but like get, getting that, that like working together to create something, you know? Yes. My, my biggest clients and are always like that. They'll always request a lot of changes, but they're also the ones who, you know, give me really great talent to work with and who pay well and so i i have found that to be true yes i haven't worked with a a big client ever that hasn't gone and done that <laughs> that's good to know i think um for me it's a it's a practice in humility because there are times where i'm in such my own headspace and i'm like it's perfect what are you talking about i did oh, it yes you know <laughs> I, what, what, is, what else is there i get that way all of the time and then they'll suggest the change and then when i go to make the change i'm cringing at the change i'm making because i just think no it's not it's not better but then i go back and listen to it a week later i'm like you know what 
it does fit the song. Like, I, I oh can my see God, the vision that is so now. funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's so hard to do in the moment. So yeah, you're right. It's a huge practice in humility. I need to get better at that. I had to apologize to one of my clients the other day. And I said, look, man, um, I'm working on becoming an active listener. <laughs> and you just, and I'm not a very good communicator. So just bear with me. I'm, I apologize if I sound condescending. I'm just trying to understand why we're making the changes because it's not, in this particular situation, we'd veered so far off the path of what was originally asked. And I was like, so what are we doing? I don't even know what we're doing anymore. But yeah, I know. I, I think that's, uh, Humility is uh, humility. So, uh, so far, if, if anyone's paying attention at home, time management, humility, balance in life, um, confidence. Those are the things that we're really touching on today. You know, you're very young in your career. I think that you have a lot. Uh, I think you have a lot of energy to get to the marathon or the finish line just from just from how you present yourself. Do you have a career map that you're trying to follow things that you want to see see done? I, I have a pretty good sense of what I want in the next year and then like my end end goal. Uh, for the next year, I want to be able to make minimum wage off of my own music that I put out as an artist. So that would be by the time I'm 25. Uh, I'm not even close to that right now. I'm probably a tenth of the way there. And then when it comes to life map, like by the end of my career, I want to be able to play at festivals and i don't know if you're familiar with big edm festivals but there's one called tomorrowland it's probably the biggest edm festival and i want to play at their main stage and i set the goal so high because i know no matter what i'm going to want to get there but then i think well once i get if i get there ever what am i going to do next um but I, <laughs> like i want i want to be like a household name one day and i know that's incredibly rare and it's probably not going to happen but i I just, I can't justify setting my goal lower than that. Oh, I don't think there's a reason you should. I think, I think more people need permission to set your goals as high as you, as you can fantasize them. I don't think that, I think a lot of people live with three major crutches, minimalization, justification, and rationalization. If they don't meet their goals, they just use one of those crutches to say, well, I didn't do it because of this. But the bottom line is you didn't do it, you know, so don't blame anybody but yourself. And I think for myself, what my major goals were, um, I've hit a lot of, a lot of goals that I wanted to hit, but I, I, but the funny thing is I don't, I don't think those are goals. I think those were benchmarks. I think my main goals are, are much higher and loftier. I did have a mentor. I, I don't think I was supposed to look at it, but in his office, he had this list that he actually had laminated. It had like 10 things on it. And one of the things was like, own a private island. Whoa. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, they were huge. He had one that um, I always feel bad about because he says, never talk about money in public. And I love to talk about money because I want to know how other people are, are investing and yes. how they're managing their money. Um but my point is, is that he had some of the loftiest goals. So you want to be a household name? Great. This guy wants his own island. Yeah. So it's okay. It just, it's okay. I think some people just need to be told that it's, oh, I give you permission to be successful. Yes. And it's not like setting those lofty goals means you aren't going to be happy until you achieve them. That's not at all what it is. It's just, you might as well set that goal because you're going in that direction anyways. Yeah, that's a good point. You're going to you're going to end up in the direction you're headed. And if you're and if you ask people and they try to give you this this is my pet peeve. 
when you ask somebody what their goals are, what they want to do, and they give you this, this fake humble answer, that's like, I don't care. I'm just, I'm just happy doing what I'm doing. Yeah. And I'm just like, what, what's the point then? You know, like, I don't understand why you're doing it then, you know, and that, I don't know. I have to be careful because that'll come again, come off as arrogant or cocky, but I just don't, I don't really want to surround myself with people who are just doing things because it makes them warm and fuzzy. I want to see people who, who, who are goal driven and who, who have somewhat, I don't know. I don't know how to explain that. And if, do you feel the same or, or do you, do you find it? Cause it can be lonely being a, a, um, a goal driven person. I think at times. Yes, I, I do feel that way. And I try to find people who are goal driven, especially when it comes to people that I work with. If I'm collaborating with someone, I really want to find those types of people. Um, and it all stems from like what you were saying about people liking the warm and fuzzy. I, and this is like a deeper belief than anything career wise. I, I don't really believe that the purpose of life is to be happy or content um, and that it's to become someone who is admirable, um, not in like a, a fame, a fame kind of way, but in someone who is able to do impressive things and provide for people. And if you're always warm and fuzzy and happy, then you're probably not going to become that type of person. And so that's kind of like my, the backbone of all the career beliefs that I have. But I definitely try to find more people that are goal-driven and action-oriented. It's difficult to live on an island. It's difficult to not find those people. I, I also I also think that when you find those people, they have to be in a healthy mindset too. That if if it's if it's like a competitive, I'm not good about being around people who are driven and competitive. I'm I'd rather be around people who are driven and very as 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 giving as I am. I don't like being around people who are who are one uppers and stuff like that. I don't think that's as healthy either. I don't know what the point of that is either. Yeah, I agree. And that is also something that I actually struggle with is being competitive. I have a very competitive nature and so I don't do it outwardly. Like I'm not going to try to step on someone's toes to get where I want, but I will compare myself to them relentlessly and be like, I, I don't want them to be, you know, have less listeners than I do, but how do I get more listeners than them? How do I do what they do to one up it? And it's, it's weird because I don't want that to be public because I don't want them to feel like I'm competing with them. It's just how I like map out my next steps. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I have, I'm comfortable calling that a barometer Okay. of saying like, because I think we both agree that, and this is another catchphrase I have. I'm, if you listen to podcasts, I say this stuff all the time, but it's, you know, if you're in competition with others, you get bitter. If you're in competition with yourself, you get better. Yes. That being said, it's humanly impossible to not see somebody achieve something and wonder why you didn't figure that out first. Okay. Yes. What did you do wrong <laughs> to not figure that out? And I think, you know, I think the healthy part in all this is, are you looking at the right metrics? You know, it's one thing to see someone's likes or to see someone's amount of followers or, or views or listens. It's another to actually investigate and see the big picture, right. you know, and like, what, what are they, have they really achieved what I'm seeing or is this some fake internet junk, you know? Yeah. And that's so common too. It's, it's, it's tough for people who are trying to find someone as a barometer because then they feel bad about how they're doing when what they're seeing isn't even real. There's a, 
the funny story and I'll try to make it short. I don't have a lot of followers on, on, on Instagram. I've never been, been that guy to care too much about that. Um, but I still get like sore when like one thing has 60 likes when the last thing I'd had had 160 likes. I'm like, this is the one I worked hard on. What? The other one I didn't even work hard on, you know, this is touching my heart right now. Well, one of my uh, friends in New York, um, he's got like, I, I would have to look, I would guess more than 50,000 followers. I think he's at like a hundred thousand followers, but he's been on TV and people know who he is. And it's funny too, because he got asked to do a tattoo that someone else had already done. It was in a magazine. And so he was humble enough to be like, okay, if that's what you want, you know, I'll, I'll do it exactly like this other famous guy, you know? And we were at dinner that night and he was like, how come the tattoo I copied has more likes than the tattoos I do? And we're talking like 10,000 likes, you know what I mean? And I'm like, Oh my God, it never ends. It just never ends. So, you know, you have to keep it in perspective that it's on a percentage rate, not a, not a, uh, uh, numbers, you know, uh, numbers rate. So it just, just, I think some of these things just never, never quit. That's that's Um, so true. Can I ask something? Uh, how are you giving back? Because everything you've said is that the, all these people are helping you through, um, first, you wanted to be helped because you went out there and you read the self-help books. So you put yourself in a willing position. And then you put yourself around a positive crowd being in, in the fraternity. And then you even got it dialed down to a mentor. But I, I want to know, I don't know how you can keep it if you're not giving it back somehow. Is there is there a system you have for that as well? I don't have much of a system for it. I. Part of it is in all of these, I'm in tons of forums online and every time I have some sort of success, something that works, then I will post about that, explain how I did it and give that information to other people so that they can get information from someone who's actually doing it and not just from some guru, someone that tons of people like that online. Um, And so that's how I do that in the music world. I am a volunteer, not an official volunteer, um, but I am one of the volunteers for my fraternity in my college to talk to them. And I do some meetings with other chapters in the country to talk about music and production as a career path. Um, and so I'm trying to really focus in on that because being able to affect students that were my age, that, that are my, that are the age that I was when I was affected so much would be like the best system I could possibly have. So that's what I'm going for. So, yeah, what I heard was that you're definitely doing service work and you freely give what you already have. And I think those two things are so important. The, the, I've never met someone who's at the top of their game who did not mind sharing how they got there. The only time I find people that are conservative about what they want to share with you are the ones that realize they probably only have one trick. And they don't want anyone to know their one trick, you know? Yeah, that's great. I think it's, it's amazing how much personal energy you can get off of, off of just doing service work and helping other people. I want to start kind of wrapping it up, but I want to kind of ask you, can you explain EDM a little bit more? And can you then kind of talk about your influences in that world and who you kind of... Um, so the, the listeners out there who don't know what EDM is, Electronic dance music. For those who don't know, because we can all relate as creative types who are trying to make money doing creative things. But in this particular situation, I think it's such a niche thing 
that I just want you to explain what it is in your world and what examples other people could have that they wanted to kind of like listen to, to, to that, 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 um, that, that variety of music. Yes. So EDM as an umbrella is a massive genre that encapsulates a lot of different uh, subgenres. So it's pretty much anything that uses electronic instruments and has a beat. Um, and so my particular realm of EDM is more inside of like pop EDM. So it's a lot of what's more popular. So Marshmallow, uh, a lot of people have heard of him. He's one of the biggest EDM artists in the act. Uh, Alan Walker was my number one inspiration. I mean, I heard he has a song that is like multi-platinum called Faded. And the first time I heard that song, I was like, I got to produce electronic music like this. Uh, and so he's what got me into it. And it's, it's very ethereal and emotional and kind of dreamy almost is how I would describe the kind of style that I want to make. Um, not so much like a clubby boots and cats kind of banger. Um, so Alan Walker, Marshmallow, Cashmere, those are some of the, the acts that I follow most closely and their focus is on mostly melodies and big complicated chord progressions and things like that. Can you tell us where they can find some examples of your work? Yes, I'm on every streaming service. If you search Alex Boschel, you will be able to find it because I'm like one of the only Alex Boschels in the world. Spotify is the, the biggest one and then YouTube if you're not on any specific streaming service. Okay, I'm going to give you an opportunity really quick to speak directly to someone out there who's listening and, and, and about five years behind you. What advice do you have for them? What kind of, what should they expect? And um, like, what, what could you offer them as far as like your, your experience? If you are listening and you are in that place, please find the most uncomfortable situations that you can get in, in music or whatever field you're looking for, looking to be in and just throw yourself at them and try to swim. And it's going to be embarrassing at points and it's going to really suck, but that is the fastest track to learning more and getting more confidence. If you're an aspiring DJ and you've never had a DJ gig and someone asks you to do one, just do it. You might mess it up, might play the wrong songs, but you're gonna learn from that and the next one's gonna be so much better and you'll have a lot more confidence. So throw yourself into uncomfortable situations. That's excellent advice. That is such, uh, yeah, being, being uncomfortable, there's only one way to grow. You don't grow, you don't grow in comfort. That is such a good, good piece of advice. I want to, I don't want to end the podcast, but we have to end it somewhere. And I want to end it on this high right now because it's a, it's such a great place that I think more people are going to want to come and search out more about you if we, if we just stop right now. Um, so I want to thank you uh, for, for coming out on the podcast. I want to thank you for pushing me to actually follow through with getting you on the podcast because I can get lost in my own, in my own world too. And, um, I don't, I need to know, uh, really quick, um, how they contact you. And then I'm going to add all that in, in the notes of the podcast as well. But is there any closing thoughts you'd like to, you'd like to add that I maybe forgot to ask you about? And, uh, and then again, uh, how would they directly get a hold of you if they wanted to work with you? I don't have any additional closing thoughts. I thought we talked about so much on this podcast episode and that's okay, amazing uh to get in contact with me i'm mostly on instagram 
you can find me at Alex Beauchamp Music. And my username is the same for Twitter, Facebook, TikTok. And then email, I'm happy to talk over email, alexbeauchelmusic at gmail.com. There is so much more I want to ask you about. I would have loved if we had gone into, and maybe we need another podcast later, but like, how do you balance all that? Who does it? Do you have more help? I mean, I would love to know more about this because I feel so overwhelmed, but I'll just end it with there. And I just want to say thank you for coming on. And uh, I'd love to have you. So if you didn't know it, if you're, you're getting ready to hear the outro, it should be maybe playing in the background right now. Uh, that is from Alex. And I really appreciate it. I want everyone again to uh, have a great week. I want you to all enjoy life and not worry so much. And I just want to say I appreciate everyone who listens to the Bachelors of Art podcast. If you can go to the iTunes and leave a comment on rate me so that I can get more followers. So more people, basically, if you go and rate me, more people are going to see it in their search. That's all I really want. I just want to be able to reach more people. Um, so you can see us at uh, Bastards of Art uh, on the podcast. You just Google that. You'll find us. We're on Stitcher, SoundCloud. Um, the, my personal web address is www.matthodeltattoo.com. You can contact me through that. And once again, thank you, Alex. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. That, yeah. Great. I'll talk to you in a bit. Thank you.